Hello and welcome to another Conversation with Open Minds episode. Today, we're having a different style of an episode as we'll have a special guest today with us, uh, Heather, who wants to actually have a specific conversation about something very close to her heart. So I am here today. The My two-thirds aren't. Um, and this will be a kind of a little uh, back and forth as to what she wants to talk about, but I will let her explain that to you as she does a lot better job than I do. So go ahead, Heather. What, do you, what would you like to talk about today? Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invite and opportunity to share and learn as we go. Um, my story with regard to today's conversation and why it's of particular importance to me actually started four years ago to the day, um, which I think is special that we're talking about this today, actually. Um, my husband was in an accident that unfortunately he did not survive. So without warning, without time to prepare, come up with any sort of plan, I was thrown into not only being a young widow, but also a single parent. And my son at the time was only 10 years old and he lost one of his best friends, um, very important role model and um, an integral part of his foundation. So in the midst of kind of that numbing shock and the overwhelming grief of loss, I had to figure out, you know, how was I going to provide and guide him by myself right. and so over the course of figuring this out in the last four years I've done a lot of thinking about how it could have been or it still could be better and right. I think while my specific scenario may not be common there are other people who've experienced loss of a parent or a partner whether mm-hmm. that through death, um, a a really nasty divorce where sometimes a parent just is completely removing themselves from the situation and not available or things like incarceration. Um, And that sort of catapults this parent into uh, a single parent mode and and this family into a single parent household. Um, So I, I wanted to talk about, you know, how to navigate that and, and okay. what type of, of resources and, and things on the outside might help a parent do that and help a child um, get what they need to become just, you know, a well-rounded adult. Right. So with that being said, sorry for your loss, um, would like to say in moving forward, um, as difficult as that is, um, having to move forward, being forced to move forward to do, like like you say, basically to raise the child. Um, how was that for you? How did you kind of get started with that? Did you have a support system? Um, were you completely alone and by yourself? Or, or, you know, how did you kind of get that started? Sure, that's a great question. And again, you know, it's going to be different for everyone. Everyone has different um definitions of support system and different resources available to them. For me personally, 
initially my goal was just to keep everything as stable and as normal, um, our normal as possible for my son. Again, he was only 10. So you're dealing with kind of this um, perfect storm of that child being mature enough to wrap his mind around what's actually happened and, and all of the different things that are going on while you're still, you know, dealing with your own grief and, and business mode and everything. So right. while I was fortunate to have the church family and I had my husband's, um, his family, his work family, his um, community that was part of, you know, a hobby that he really enjoyed. Um, mm -hmm. For the most part, I was alone. Um, you know, there's only so much that outside people can do. You know, I have amazing in-laws. I have two incredible uh, brothers that are great men, but they live out of state. So mm -hmm. in terms of having someone right there, um, it was, it was kind of me. <laughs> right. And, right. Um, what I did initially was just sort of reach out as much and as quickly as I possibly could to uh, resources available through the church, through the school mm -hmm. system, with counseling, um, mm -hmm. you know, coaches that were part of sports my son was involved in, anywhere that I could find sort of a, a grounding force to be a mentor and, and help guide and, and sort of fill in the gaps. And so was your son immediately receptive to um, outside counseling or outside mentorship um, from, you know, like you said, from church and from uh, schools? Was he immediately um, receptive to that? Uh, no. <laughs> he, <laughs> he was very much adamant that he mm -hmm. did not want to be, quote unquote, that kid. I don't mm -hmm. want to be the kid whose dad died. I don't want right. to be the kid who needs counseling. I'm fine. Um, mm -hmm. And I think as a parent, as an adult, you have to listen and mm -hmm. understand that, but also know that he doesn't know what he needs. Right. Um, and so it is, a, it's definitely all the way through been a very delicate balancing act of not wanting to force him into things, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. knowing that in the long run, he will benefit from having guidance that I simply could not provide. Right. I guess kind of push, but not push too hard. Exactly. Um, you kind of figure, figure out how to have these conversations so that he is learning that it's okay to get mm -hmm. help. Um, I right. think, you know, as a society, as a whole, we kind of have this idea that asking for help is a sign of weakness mm -hmm. and yes. he, he wanted to be, you know, the, the strong one and, um, and he was, but I think with that in mind, he thought, nope, I'm just going to keep going and do what I've, I've always done and I'm fine. I don't need this. And so you have to be able to delicately, um, push, like you said, but not force right. into situations that you know are, go are going to help and, and get him through. Right. Well, and that's true. I mean, I guess we sometimes forget the child side of this and what they have to go through or how they're dealing with it, how they're taking it. Um, I can kind of understand that being um, 
a child myself that was a part of a single parent family. And as I was growing up, starting to think that I was the only one. And so I never talked to anybody about that, but it was just a thought in my head that in that school, I was the only person in that school that didn't have a dad. And it was weird until I started to talk to a couple of my uh, friends at school, starting to realize that I was not the only person there. And there was like seven other kids in the same class that had the exact same situation. And so I can kind of understand the adamant of not wanting to because you do feel alone and don't want to be singled out and you don't want to open yourself up to realizing that maybe you are the only one. And then that's even harder to deal with because now you realize that your thought was actually true. So I, I get the feeling of that. But yes, don't push too hard and just kind of direct him into an area to where he accepts that for himself. Yes. And I think you do have to do some of the the background investigations. Um, You know, I can tell you that we've we've had several different counselors because it is a very um, personal, almost invasive situation and you have to have the right dynamic. Um, And a lot of that from a parent standpoint, you need to do um, behind the scenes. And then only when you have a good plan, a good fit, or at least what you think Mm -hmm. will be, do you get the the child involved because they don't need to know all the extraneous, you know, details. They just basically need right. to you know, get in the car and go into counseling. Um, <laughs> kind of thing. And right. it, it, again, it's that balance of, you know, you want them to have some buy-in, but mm-hmm. you don't want, um, you don't want to scare them off or, or have the resistance. Right. Right. Um, And once again, I mean, you know, we're just talking about one particular experience just so that everybody understands that this is not everybody's way to do something, but it is just a way of saying that um, it's delicate because you want to tell him as much as you want him to be able to um, process. But you also want to, you also don't want to not disclose anything in fear of him feeling that you're hiding things from him or you're um, forcing him to do something he doesn't want to do. So you want to tell him just as much that he'll understand what's going on, but not have to take on everything as far as all of what you're having to deal with on top of everything he's already dealing with. Absolutely. I think that brings up a really good point in that Mm -hmm. there's kind of an old school mentality um, that he heard a lot after my husband passed in that you're the man of the house now. And while I understand that, I do not agree with it. Um, I feel like it puts an enormous amount of pressure on a 10 year old boy to somehow fill the void in whatever way his mind um, comes up with what that is. And I think, you know, again, like I said, that balancing act is, Um, I think it's important for a child to learn the responsibility and and what it takes to run a household, but I don't think they need to be necessarily now the man of the house. Right. Well, and so in saying that, um, you you kind of go back to 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago, where your gender roles were very defined. They were very clear. It was dad went out went to work, brought home the bacon, as we used to say, mom took care of the house, mom took care of the kids. Um, 
right or wrong. That's just kind of the way things were then. So there were understood responsibilities on either side. Fast forward now, you know, a hundred years later, and those responsibilities, those lines, those roles are almost completely disseminated because anybody can do anything. Mm -hmm. So there is still that mentality of the male wanting to be the strong one, the support, the uh, caretaker in a sense. Um, and so I understand them telling him that because of them not wanting him to lose that sense of wanting to take care of somebody. But it is a lot to shoulder at age 10 that you have to suddenly be the responsible one and take care of everything when you really have no idea what tomorrow is going to hold or even what today is going to hold, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I kind of see how they said that. And I realize you don't agree with it. I, I, I understand them saying that, um, but it's hard to kind of fulfill that same sentiment when things are very different than what they were 20, 30 years ago. I agree. And I, I think that that's a, a really excellent point in whether or not, you know, a father was lost or a mother was lost. You mm -hmm. now have that child who is watching their parents be everything. Um, right. And that, that kind of gets blurry too, because they either lose some of their um, specific role as we've come to know them um, as they're taking on these other things. So that can be very difficult. Um, for instance, in my situation, I've had to do things that I wouldn't necessarily do. There were things that my husband took care of. Um, so while I want my son to learn, you know, kind of the ways of a woman in terms of, you know, how they take care of a household or um, their femininity and, and how you protect mm -hmm. them and care for them, he also sees me in a role that may be more masculine because I've right. had to jump into that role. So, right. and that's where I believe that, um, you know, outside influences can really help to see the mm -hmm. different dynamics of family environments, conversations, um, mm -hmm. traditions, you know, things that, again, you've got people in the, I hate to say traditional roles, but- right it is a more traditional way of looking at a family or a household and that sort of thing. And I think it's important for, for kids to kind of see the partnership in that um, and, and how different people behave in those situations. Right. I, I almost think too, that it's a good base for anybody to at least have an understanding of how things work so to speak, is mm -hmm. you kind of understand that there are specific roles. There are, I mean, I, I would even think today, even in a marriage today, there are still things that are expected of you as a wife, expected of you as a husband um, to just kind of automatically do. Now, that's not to say that I can't help you do that, but you may say to yourself that you expect him to go take care of the lawn or you expect him to be able to fix the car or take care of the car or whatever that may be. Um, so there is that understanding that he can take care of that stuff, but it's not solely on him today. So right. as long as just having that base that that's how family life once was, you know, not taking it to the extreme of, you know, the wife stays in the house and she never gets to work ever, that kind of a thing or, you know, vice versa. 
um, but just at least giving them a framework to look at uh, a blueprint in a sense to be able to say this is how things are. They've changed a lot since then, but you kind of understand where you may fit. Mm-hmm. It kind of made me think of, you know, even like a dad raising a daughter by himself. I mean, that, that same scenario of being able to show her, get her to understand, even understand her as a woman growing up, the things that is going to go on with her, um, you know, just the changes in the child that will, you're not used to where you don't expect that you're now going to try to have to explain or he may not even want to talk to you about it because he feels it's embarrassing. So, you know, it's good to have um, outside influences, being careful on who those influences are. Um, But yeah, I I completely understand that. So, so how is that? I was just going to say, I think that, you know, with any kid in any situation, um, you've probably experienced this where you can suggest something to your child, you can try to teach them something, um, and they completely shrug it off. But if a trusted friend or neighbor or coach says the same thing verbatim, they mm-hmm. act like it's the, the greatest idea they've ever heard. So right. sometimes it's just having that outside influence um, to give them a different perspective or, you know, to just not be mom over and over again right. saying something. Um and that's where I feel like, you know, again, those outside resources, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. unknowingly um, being the trusted resources, you know, you don't just right. find somebody and, and bring them in um, somebody right. that you trust and, and you believe is going to be a good role model are imperative right. in getting through that kind of thing. Yeah. Cause I guess if you think about it, you know, as parents, um, you kind of, you kind of try to drive a point home and they will listen for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it's just like, okay, mom, you know, or okay, dad, or whatever. And so, yes, they yeah. stop listening. And so it, it's very hard for you as a parent to be able to point them in the right direction because of who you are. Not that they're not listening to you per se, but mm-hmm. more of a just, okay, mom, whatever. And they move on. But you're right. If somebody outside of that says the exact same thing, because mm-hmm. it's an outside person saying that maybe because of what you've already said, solidified that because an outside person said the same thing. And so they may, they may not give you the credit for right. the, the initial idea, but that could be part of the reason that when somebody else says the same thing in their head, they go, wow, mom was right, mm-hmm. but I can't tell you that. So you don't say anything. Right. So, right. so exactly. it's good. I mean, even though you think you're talking to a brick wall, it's still you know, try to drive the point home because as I've learned, you, things in, things in my head, there are things that people say to me in my head that, you know, that um, were very profound, that resonated very deeply, that still pop into my head from day one and things I, I never forget that helped me um, become part of the person who I am. And so, you know, to kind of go in a different direction, as a young kid, I was a very, I was very much the kid that thought that, uh, I guess I always wanted to be right. And it was partly because I grew up with two sisters who were a little bit older than I were, but I felt like I never got a say. Not that I had anything to say, but you know, just didn't get much of a say in an all-female household. And, you know, growing up and being a teenager and whatnot, we would get into arguments with my friends and we'd kind of go back and forth, but we would always have a good discussion 
about stuff. And then we would always end it with either we're all agreeing or we agreed to disagree. And one day I was told this specific line of, you can't always be right. Mm-hmm. And I heard that and I just stopped talking and just kind of went, okay. But that stuck in my head because now it was like a, in every conversation I have, I have to re- not only remind myself, but back then I kind of had to remind myself that I can't always be right or it's not always about being right. Mm-hmm. A- and that opened up a door of understanding for me because I think it got me to listen a little bit better and not be so concerned about being the one who's right. Well, that's awesome. Do you remember who said that to you? Yes, I do. It was actually a, a friend of my cousin. It wasn't okay. actually even a friend of mine, so to speak. It was a, mm-hmm. I, I had cousins that I used to go see in the other school. He's like his best friend. And so it kind of like the five of us all became friends at that particular point. And so I'd, I'd known him for a while. Um, but when he said that, it was just one of those things that he said that just stuck with me. And every now and again, that pops into my head. So, right. So it, it, those things are so crucial. Um, mm-hmm. Those tiny little moments where someone either takes the time to show you something that mm-hmm. they're doing or impart some sort of wisdom. Um, because I think one of the things that keeps people from maybe getting involved or trying to be a mentor or trying to help is we have this all or nothing mentality. Well, I don't have anything to offer. I don't really do anything special. I don't have a lot of time or, you know, if I can't just go all the way, then I'm not going to do anything at all. And it's really those tiny moments that something is said or shown or, or whatever that stick with you, like you said, forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all you can do at this point is like, you know, hope you're doing the right thing. Um, you, you do see progress. I mean, you, you, I'm sure with a child, because I think your progress sometimes can be much quicker um, due to their reactions to certain things. Um, you will see a little bit more progress along the way. And like I said, you can only do your best. So with that being said, um, kind of moving on to social media. We, we talk, you talked about pride. You talked about people not wanting to ask for help. Um, okay. Social media being what it is now, a lot of people communicate through that. A lot of people, um, maybe they don't have their family close by, so their only communication could be through social media. Um, and the good and bad side of that, how do you feel social media? Do you feel social media in and of itself has become the new village? That's a great question. Um to an extent, yes. Um, I, I feel like it does allow us, obviously, to be connected in a way that we couldn't before. Um, in my case, for instance, I mentioned my brothers live out of state, so we do a lot of um, video calls. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, myself and my son, we're in front of the iPad, and then we can see my brothers and their kids. And so there is conversation and laughing and joking and, and stories and things that take place um, mm-hmm. as well as with my mom. And, and so it's great and it connects us, um, especially over the last several months when we couldn't go anywhere and do anything. So right. that is definitely a positive. Um, the, I hate to say negative, but the, the only downside is it is a little bit more impersonal um, mm-hmm. from a, you know, outside of family standpoint. Right. Um, 
you're not getting the dynamics you're not able to necessarily if you're just talking to someone or texting back and forth able to read you know inflection in voices facial expressions um, which in right. my opinion teach a tremendous amount as well of conversational skills dynamics mm -hmm. in a family you know how to respond to things um right. which in a generation that has grown up with disassociation through social media um, it's mm -hmm. real important to learn the art of conversation and being able to, you know, bring something to the table. So that would be my only con necessarily for social media is just that it doesn't allow a hands-on learning experience, which, um, right. you know, a lot of people are, are visual and, and hands-on type learners. Um, but it certainly guess, does offer some connection. I guess it does say that regardless of how um, automated we want to be, that, uh, human contact in and of itself is still very important. Face-to-face -face oh, contact definitely. is still very important. I mean, you think about um, all of the videos that you've probably seen, especially in the older population where they're in lockdown in a assisted living or nursing home and they've not had any interaction and they are right. suffering from failure to thrive. They've right. not had a hug. Um, mm -hmm. And it's those types of things, whether it's, it's a girl or a boy, that needs to feel that inclusion and acceptance and the touch of a hug or a handshake or a pat on the back. Um, I think those things are so vital for kids mm -hmm. to really understand and feel empowered by whatever they've just been a part of. Right. Very true. Hmm. Kind and of, I, I guess, very, I think it's kind of very different between, I guess, you know, childhood when we grew up as to childhood now. Um, being the fact, no, you're fine. Being fine that uh, they don't get that contact as much, but they they almost don't even realize that they need that contact because they're not used to it because that's not what they always get because they're more online based than they are more physical contact and face to face contact type of based uh, reality. Um, so it is good to be able to at least try to show some of that emotion, um, so that it's still there, so that they still understand that that's what they're missing. Yeah. Um, because I, they, you know, they probably don't even realize that that's what it is. That's the, the, the blank spot right now that's out there. It's the, I'm talking to my friends on my phone and that's about it, but there's nothing right. else emotionally involved. So. Well, and you talked about, yeah. you know, when you grew up and, and when I grew up, yeah, I'm a child of the 70s, 80s, when mm -hmm. those, as you mentioned, the neighborhoods acted as the village that it takes to raise a child, um, right. where all of your neighbors knew you, they knew what you could and couldn't do. They were the eyes and ears for your parents, and they had no qualms about, you know, uh, whipping up on you or telling you to go home or to do something right or not do something you shouldn't have been doing. And along with that was also that um, that kind of wholly familial environment where if you're walking down the road and, you know, Mr. Jones is tinkering on his car and he's like, get over here, boy, I'm going to show you how to change the oil. Or, right. you know, your friend's mom is an excellent baker and she's making cookies and she gets you in the kitchen with her and and again i'm not trying to be gender specific about who does what mm -hmm. 
but yeah. I'm just talking about, you know, back in the day, um, mm-hmm. there was so much more inclusion. You had dinner at your friend's house and afterwards you helped with the dishes and you might've played a board game. And, you know, all of those things are so vital to, again, right. learning the art of conversation and, and how do other families operate and, and what are their cultural and religious and social beliefs and you know, and again, it's not to say that your child necessarily would adopt those, but to learn in a well-rounded manner that there are other ways of doing things, there are other ways of discussing things. Um, I think that's a huge part of what's missing with, um, with kids today. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, exposure for the most part to things that they don't know. So, you know, the more expose them to things like that is the more they're going to be more open. I think the younger they are, the more open they are to newer things. As we get older, we get a little bit more set in our you know, crazy ways that we are. So going back to then social media being the way that it is now, as polarizing as it is right now, and as, as divided as the world is right now with a lot of things that are going on, sure. do you feel that that has changed that same village sentiment or do you feel that's still staying the course regardless of how people personally feel about their, you know, political beliefs or, you know, whatever. Um, How do you feel that may have changed things? Yeah, I, I do feel like that has changed things. I think that's one of the reasons we've shifted from that village mentality is that everyone is, um, I don't think people are bad. I, I'm not that kind of person. I think there's really, really good out there. Um, but it's it's gone from a, you know, how can I help my neighbor mentality to a every man for himself mentality. Um, I'm going to mind my own business mentality because inevitably getting involved gets me in trouble, whether it's a difference of opinions or, um, you know, just arguing and, and then it escalates into something. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that that has unfortunately pushed people to just stay out of it um, right. instead of, you know, seeing a kid outside and they're either doing something they shouldn't be doing, or, you know, maybe they they're playing basketball by themselves. People are so much more reluctant to join in. Um, right. You know, am I going to get labeled as, you know, a pedophile? And, and that's horrible to mm-hmm. even say that out loud. But right. You know, that's kind of the way things are going. So I think it, it really makes people gun shy to to offer up any sort of mentorship or assistance or anything like that. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that, that it does. And, and honestly, I think some of that was there before. It was for me um, as far as mm-hmm. the the fear or the the reluctance to want to be able to go that extra step because of the possibilities that may go wrong. And because of what I've seen and I've experienced of them going wrong, that I'm like, I don't want to open up that bright patch at all. So, so I, I see that. Um, and so it is more challenging now probably to want to be mentored or, or you know, want to have somebody to be able to be mentored like that um, because of those fears or because of the repercussions or, just like you said, just in general, you you know, differences of opinions that have now separated us so far. Um, so it just kind of make things harder. Um, so, yeah. So with that being said, and you, you know, four years on, how are things for you today? 
Uh, thank you for asking. Things are are good. Um, you know, we've come a very, very long way, and it's, it's probably been the longest four years of my life. But, um, you know, and, and it's kind of one of those things that has to be fluid, um, right. especially because, again, as I mentioned, that perfect storm, you're dealing with a child who, um, when this started, was 10, but now he's going through that whole puberty, teenage mm-hmm you know, all the peer pressure and everything. So you're, you're navigating so many different arenas at the same Mm -hmm. time you're dealing with the void in the family, the grief, um, you know, that sort of thing. So I think what has helped um, kind of going back to an earlier question and and sort of pulling all of these things together, when you ask, like, how do you do it? um, If you're fortunate enough to have a good circle, and that can be from anywhere, like I said, you know, not everybody has the the church family, um, the outside work family. Um, not everybody has the financial means to get their kids involved in sports organizations or mentorship clubs. But if you have whatever that circle is, I think it has to be twofold. I think the parent has to acknowledge and accept the fact that they cannot be all things to their child. You can't play that the role of everything and everyone um and then neighbors circle of friends whoever it is also need to um initiate you know right. of course when when something first happens everybody's there i want to help i want to help um and that sort of goes away because obviously mm-hmm. everybody has their own lives and they get busy and and i understand that completely but i mm-hmm. think continuing to show up and to ask or even suggest because a lot of times I didn't know what I needed people would say you know what can I do to help and sometimes it's more of a statement than a question hey how about if I pick up your son we're going to play basketball and let's bring him with us um Mm -hmm. and so then it's almost like all I have to do is say yep that sounds great instead of oh well let me think of all the ways that you can help me and I'm overwhelmed so I just say nah don't worry about it um, right. So I think it takes that that two sided, you know, one, the parent saying, I'm raising the white flag, I cannot do this by myself, I need resources, and reaching mm-hmm. out, and then also um, observation and awareness on the part of your, your circle that says, hey, just because she's not asking for help doesn't mean she's got it all under control. So let's, right. you know, maybe reach out and, and see in whatever way that is, you know, again, if you're, if you're going to be doing something, whether it's a hobby or fixing something or going for a day trip or or whatever it Mm -hmm. is that you feel comfortable with that kid being a part of, then invite them along and, and make it easy for the parent to say, yes, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, and you know, you saying that, I I guess I didn't think of it in that manner of, the time that you're going through all of that is not really a time that you want to do all the thinking, do all the preparing, do all of that, and be able to come up with all these solutions. Um, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a time where we're the ones who are supposed to just kind of be the more observant ones and kind of say, I think she's going to need help here, 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 and mm-hmm. here. And just say, hey, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And you may say yes or no to that, but either way, it's really all your answer is going to be is sure yes do that yeah go ahead bye see you later um yeah so so yes the the anything i can do to help usually is a 
I, I don't know what the heck to say. I don't of know course. what can they do to make you feel better. So they say that, not being, not trying to be insensitive and not trying to not want to help, but it's almost a way of just trying to say something to at least express some type of um, empathy, I guess, to what's going on with you right now without saying the wrong thing. And I understand that. And, and let me say that certainly prior to having experienced loss on a personal level, not just with my husband, mm. I was probably the person who said all the wrong things. And I probably will be that person again. So I've never been upset about anything because I know that people are coming from a very good place and they want to help. Um, right. So I love that. I think, yeah, but it is just about awareness and until you go through something or you have a friend that explains it, you don't really know what you don't know. So right. it's, it's impossible to comprehend how incredibly overwhelming on all levels, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mm -hmm. you know, that type of situation is. So you're absolutely right. I think the best thing is to sort of just be that friend that's like, hey, I'll be at your house in 15 minutes with dinner and I'm taking your kid for ice cream or whatever it is, you know, like, and then that parent can just go, Oh God, that sounds amazing. Um, right. and they don't have to think about one more thing. And, and also to keep asking, because I think mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, it may not be something I could handle right then, or it may not have been the right fit at that time, but it would be later. Um, and some people shy away and, and don't ask anymore. And I think, you know, keep asking and, right. and just suggesting whatever's of comfort level to you. You don't have to, you know, swoop in and, and be a hero or save anybody um, or fix right. anything. Um, you know, again, that's where it kind of comes to that all or nothing or you know, being a little mm -hmm. bit hesitant because you're, I don't want to do the wrong thing or, you know. Well, and this may sound a little ridiculous, I guess, you know, but as you were saying all of this, I kind of had the analogy in my head of you're on the side of the road and your car broke down and you need to push. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. you start pushing the car. And as you're pushing the car, people are just driving by you because that's usually what happens is nobody wants to stop and help. But then somebody does and that person gets out and they start pushing with you. And then maybe another person does and they start pushing. And then once the car gets started, everybody leaves. Mm -hmm. So in that time of grief where you need to get that push start, mm -hmm. people are there and people are trying to help. But once they feel like you've got this car started, maybe you don't need as much help anymore. And, and so that's where people start slowly disappearing, like you say, also because of their own personal lives and things that are going on. But they also think that, well, the car's running, so everything probably should be okay. So that's a fantastic you, analogy, and I might steal it from you. <laughs> Feel free to. <laughs> it literally you know, just popped in the head. Yeah, no, that's perfect because that really does happen. And mm -hmm. and again, that's what I mean when I say people assume because you're doing it and you're functioning, um, and they don't hear anything. You know, no news is good news. Um, right. That all is well. Meanwhile, you know, I'm like the duck that on the surface, I'm calm and cool and collected, but underneath mm. my legs are going crazy. <laughs> <'Cause> I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to juggle, you know, and, and be mom and dad and nurse and psychiatrist and coach and mentor, you know, and it's just, it's exhausting and it's scary. Mm. And I have had to be very honest with myself that I cannot do it all. And, and I'm 
I'm not doing my son a service by trying to, I really need to continue to find resources that help him, you know, cause I always say I'm raising an adult. I'm not raising a child. I'm raising an adult. And I want him to be a well-rounded, successful human mm. being that mm. down the road, somebody's not coming back to me. Like, what did you do to this kid? Um, so <laughs> I need help to do that. And, you know, I simply right. don't have all the answers and, and don't know all the things. And so, yeah, I think the car analogy is, is perfect. And, you know, again, understanding that people will have their own children and lives mm -hmm. and things to do. So I, I certainly am, I'm not upset. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, blaming anyone for, for not reaching out. Um, right, right. I say it as much for myself because I have friends who are also in the same situation and I haven't been as good as I could be by mm -hmm. just showing up and saying, this is what we're going to do um, to help you. Right. Or, you know, sometimes you're the person like me who thinks I can't really do anything. So if I say mm -hmm. something, either I get caught with the, sure, go ahead and do this for me. And I'm going, oh, can't do that. Um, mm -hmm. Or I feel like, oh, no, there's enough people. Let me, let me just stand back here and I'll just figure it out, you know, this way. Um, th there's, there's also that. Um, but you are correct. Um, not everything has to be, something has to be done. Sometimes it could just be literally just, like you said, taking your son out for dinner or taking son to play basketball or, you know, mm -hmm. somehow taking just a little pressure off you is really what it is more about more than always having to physically do or say something is just giving you the opportunity to be able to alleviate a little bit of pressure, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes. Absolutely. And I think, in that, you know, again, it, it doesn't have to be a grandiose thing, but even in that um, taking someone out for dinner or pick up basketball game, or um, maybe there's a club you're a part of and you can bring a guest with you or whatever it, mm -hmm. that in and of itself, yes, it, it takes some pressure off the parent and that's fantastic. But for the child, I think, again, it gives that child the opportunity to feel included and right. normal. And, you know, I'm just going to have a good time. And in doing that, he's probably going to learn something new, uh, meet mm. new people, you know, see different things that he wouldn't have otherwise. So it really doesn't have to be any major thing. And um, I don't, I certainly don't want it to be all about me as far as a, as a parent, you know, make mm. my life easier. Um, but mm -hmm. I think you can kind of kill two birds with one stone, certainly by doing that. Right. Right. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, I'm not sure. Is there anything else, anything else you wanted to get out there? Um, I don't think so. I think we covered a lot and I really appreciate it. I think you brought up some amazing questions and points. And, and like I said, the, the analogy is fantastic. Um, well, thank you very much for that. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and the time you took out of your day to decide you want to at least get the, uh, the information out there. Um, and like, like I you know, want to get across to everybody that it's a personal story is more than what it is as far as things that you've dealt with and things that you've had to um, endure over the last four years, more so than just, you know, a book or blueprint on how to deal with loss, grief, family and all that there are a gazillion ways to be able to deal with this. Um, we're just kind of giving you one account 
as to how it was dealt with and how it has continued to be dealt with. So uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to at least have this story being told. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. No problem. So I'd like to say thank you to everybody who listened. Uh, we do hope that you were somewhat inspired by what we talked about today. Um, a very in-depth, touching conversation. Uh, I'm glad to have Heather as a part of this right now and that she took time out of her day, her day to do something. So you guys continue to listen to our podcast. Feel free to find us on any avenue that you have, whether it be Spotify, Apple, or Google. Please click subscribe so you do not miss an episode. I would like to also say thank you on behalf of the two-thirds that aren't with us today, but uh, I'd just like to say to everybody to always have a conversation with an open mind. Hello, everybody. I'm Randall, one-third of the podcast group, Conversation with Open Minds. Uh, before I get into anything I'm about to say, I'd first like to thank Heather for being a guest or coming on the show and doing the interview with KT. I thought that her interview was excellent. I thought that she um, talked about being an unexpected or becoming an unexpected single parent. I thought that she brought up good points and she laid out her points and I'd like to thank her for being on the show. Uh, I just wanted to add some things uh, to the discussion and I'm going to go through them slowly. I'm not going to take up too much time, but I think that uh, she brought up some points that I wanted to highlight. I think first of all, I think people that I think people who talk about loss, about losing, about death, about relatives or close ones dying are very brave people because, you know, in the midst of losing someone, um, just the mere thought of bringing them up and and having to verbally express feelings or talk about them can make you emotional. Um, I mean, I've gone through loss not losing a spouse, but losing a mother. And I think that takes time to process one as a person and then communicate to other people. And I think that takes years, you know, um, to this day. I mean, I still deal and process it. So I think people that talk about loss are very brave. So I think think that she is very brave for doing that, for even coming on and giving an interview and to talk about her son and, you know, how she's coping with it and, you know, the ups and downs of that. So I thought that was a point that I wanted to bring out. I think raising a child um, and just being thrust into being a single parent is tough, very tough in regular circumstances. So if you add on the death of a spouse and the death of a parent, that's even more challenging um, because as the husband and wife that's left behind, you're dealing with loss. So you're trying to cope with loss and manage. But on the other hand, you're having to deal with your child and help them cope with loss and help them manage. And almost you put yourself to the side 
and you don't heal because you're so focused on your child or your children healing. And grief is hard. Um, One thing I would tell people, um, never let anybody tell you how long you should grieve or to get over it or that you should only grieve for a certain amount of time or anything or you shouldn't cry or anything like that. Grief is different to different people. Everybody handles it uh, differently. So if anybody tells you that, just please ignore that because uh, everybody is systematically different and we deal with grief uh, differently. And if grief pops in and out of your life, you could go through a loss, lose someone, grieve, feel better. And then two years from that date, grief could hit you. It could, it could, you could be walking down the road or see something on TV and grief hits you um, and it just overcomes you. So that's part of the process, knowing how to deal with that when that grief does come back. Um, you find that those types of things out in counseling. Um, I think just, you know, the way Heather talked, I really felt that she was at a different stage in her life where she was actually dealing with her grief better. I think she brought out in the interview how in the beginning it was very tough. It's still tough now, but she's she's managing it more. Um, I thought that was important. I think as far as dealing with her son, um, it can be tough. Like I said, you're already trying to deal with your grief. And then you're dealing with your child and now your child is a male child. So you're having to take on both of those roles. As uh, I mean, I've always said that a woman can never teach a child, especially a boy, how to be a man. Um, That's why mentorship is important. And I think she brought that up in the interview, how mentorship is important. And mentorship can come from anywhere. Um, Uncles. Uh, grandfathers. In my case, my grandfather is a great mentor to me to this day. You know, and I find myself as I've gotten older that my mannerisms and things I do, I emulate him all the time. Uh, You can find mentors in uh, religious groups and sports, coaches, things like that. I think that's uh, huge um, when you're dealing with a child. Um. Just, you know, outside influences, like it, like I said, coaches, um, wherever you can find a good male, strong role model, especially if it's somebody that you're, and I know we say children, but um, in Heather's case, she had a son that your son um, is drawn to. I think that's important. I think that, you know... Um, Sometimes that mentor or role model, especially if it's a male, can relate or say something to your son in Heather's case that maybe Heather cannot get across. Um, Like I think she said in the episode that she could say something and her son would dismiss her. But uh, one of his male role models or mentors could say the same thing. He he gravitates to it, 
you know, and that's just how it is because he's he sees himself in that mentor. And sometimes men are boys to men relate uh, better, you know, um, just like women relate better to girls. And there's certain things that they can talk to girls about or relate to them that men cannot do no matter how much men might love their daughters or or moms might love their sons it's just you know those gender aspects of it are what they are you know uh in closing i would just say um just anybody that has gone through grief or if you've known anybody that's going through a loss just check on them Check on them in the beginning because it'll be hard because everybody will be there in the beginning. I've gone through it. Everybody is there in the beginning. But two years from now, are you going to be there? Are you going to check in on them? You know, Um, everybody loves to say at the beginning when somebody dies, we lose. Hey, we're there anytime you need us. And then um, I think people just say that because it sounds good. But two years, they might need you. Three years, they might need you because grief comes in and out. Like I said, it can creep up on you anytime. Um, For the grieving families, seek counseling. Everybody hates that word counseling, but I think it's a good thing. Counseling is good because it helps you understand yourself. Um, You can talk to a professional that understands different situations and they can get out of you. Uh, things that you didn't even know you could get out of yourself about what you're going through. Because sometimes things can't be uh, verbalized until certain cues are given. And that's what professionals do. Um, If you believe in God, uh, Allah, Buddha, whatever you believe in, uh, sometimes the source can be inspiring. Um, You can seek that avenue. That can help you heal. That can be a part of it. Um, If that's what you believe in, definitely seek that route. Um, And also, um, even though you're going through grief, stay active. Stay active because um, your mental health is also shaped by your physical health. So sometimes you can get away whether you like sports, whether you like to work out. Sometimes that gets your mind off of the mental grief of uh, losing somebody. You know, get a hobby. Sometimes uh, people get hobbies and that helps them. Um, And lastly, what I just say, just stay healthy, stay happy and uh, stay prayed up. Life at a funeral. Hello, everybody. T. Noah here. The greatest Noah of all history. By the way, the G is silent. I am one-third of the trio at our little podcast, A Conversation with Open Minds. First of all, I would like to say a big thank you to Miss Heather for telling us about her story and showing us her strength. Thanks, Katie and Randall, for all of the things that you guys do and for who you guys are. And also, thanks to all y'all for listening and subscribing and for all of the feedback that you provide. Everybody's time is precious. Time itself is precious. Possibly the most valuable commodity there is. When we are young, time goes by so slowly. We impatiently count down the days till our birthday, major holidays, 
and long breaks from school. But if it's one thing that life has taught me is that it's foolish to wish the time away. I feel young, vibrant, like I've got lots of years ahead of me. But as life has also shown me is that it's bad things can happen to good people. And then suddenly, out of the blue, everything changes. Now, I don't have a will written out by a lawyer, but I do have notes on my laptop about my final wishes. I also keep my beneficiary info updated and as current as possible. I try to be as involved and interested in my kids' lives, to pay attention to and listen to my wife, and to be there for all of them. And, not to mention, taking care of myself. Life is a balance of me, my family, and the obligations we take along the way. Jobs, bills, that kind of stuff. Now, if I drop dead tomorrow, their lives will go on, changed forever, and not for the good. My goal is to live as long as possible, as long as I'm healthy enough to enjoy it, to see my kids grow up and establish a life for themselves, to live long and prosper, maybe even get married and have kids of their own too. I want to have conversations with them about life the whole way. However, if I'm not around, there's no way for that to happen. Not even if I were to write it all down in a book, a journal, an instruction manual, or whatever, which I couldn't do even if I really had to. Now my greatest, greatest fear is that for my kids, of harm to or losing them. I can't think of a greater loss or anything worse. I've been to 11 funerals over the last 20 years, with hopefully one more going to happen after COVID. Some of those guys were young. They had young kids, and they still had a lot of life in them. Some were taken, and some were lost. I hate funerals. They suck. I really don't want to go to another one ever again, but I will. It's respect. It's human. It is a part of life. Everyone is different when it comes to loss. Every loss is different. Grief is tough, and our paths through it are our own. I know I will go to more funerals and services, but at each and every one, I will remind myself that we, now, are still alive, and that with or without us, life does go on.